can just take a moment. I had a, I had a moment during worship. Ever had a moment? Like one of those like, like looked over your whole life moments. And I was standing there and I'm looking up at this stage. And you know, in, human, in our humanity, we're tempted to say, man, look what I'm building. But I'm not dumb enough to think that I can do all this. And I'm like, man, God, look at you. And he's like, you know, <laughs> that's like telling somebody to look at themselves. And God's like, I know me, Lewis. I'm, I'm God. You know, I, I got this. I'm like, but look at all that you've done. He's like, yeah, I know. And I just began to look over. I was walking up towards worship, and Pastor John was walking back. And I said to him, I said, hey, John, I said, how many people were in membership class today? And, and the limit's supposed to be 12, and there was 17. And, and he was like, there was like 17 or something like that. And I was thinking about it as I'm walking. I'm like, God, when we first started this church, when I took over, because we're coming up on almost eight years. Next Sunday will be eight years to the day my father passed away, which means that's the day I took over the church. I heard you clapping. You're dirty. And uh, I caught you off guard. Praise God. And so it was like, you know, it was a terrible time. But next Sunday is the actual, that's the day that God called me to the pastorate eight years prior. And, and I was thinking like, man, we literally had about 20 people in the church at the time but look at God now that every time we do a membership class we're bringing in 15 to 20 people we average about 16 visitors a Sunday we had almost 80 last month I mean God is just doing something and I had to sit there and just sometimes if you could just stay like this during praise and worship it's because you don't got a revelation of what God has done for your life and you gotta they say it a lot but you gotta get out your feelings because you could look, if you could look back over your life and, and thank God for what he's brought you through and understand what God has done for you and you can just take a moment to say, man, I know that I feel like I'm in a rough mood. It's Sunday morning. I only came because they're talking about sex this Sunday and, and, and I want to hear, you know, what, what they have to say about it. And, but if you could just look back over your life and just be like, God, you've saved me from some things. You stopped me from marrying that girl or that guy. You, you pulled me out of that sickness. You, I was homeless, but God has restored my life. And I was on drugs or I was, I was just in depression or I had anxiety or whatever. I had this addiction or I had a problem with gossip or gluttony or I had a problem with this. But God has delivered me. Maybe your story is just that God has protected you from all those things. And sometimes you feel like if you haven't gone through something, you ain't got nothing to give God praise for. Well, talk to the person who's been through hell. I call pastors all the time because pastors, as pastors, we sometimes like to have pity parties for ourselves. And I called my pastor friend in Arizona one day, and he had just done a church plant in Arizona. And he had about 15 to 16 people. He was having trouble raising up leaders in the church. He was having trouble getting people to commit to the, uh, to the ministry, having all these issues. And I'm calling him with this problem. I'm like, man, we got to find another building because we're growing too much. And I'm just so stressed out. And I'm this and I'm that. And I got dedicated people. I got committed givers. I got all these things. I got, he's like, Burgos, Burgos, Burgos. I'm like, what? I'm talking. I'm, I'm, let, me, let me pour out my heart. And then you give me advice. Says, I don't want to hear your problems. Because you got good problems. Some of you got good problems. Some of you don't realize the fact that you long sometimes for your past life means you are taken out of it. And so in the process of you fighting the enemy from dragging you back, you should give God praise for he's taking you too. Because we can get so caught up in just the motions of church. And I was sitting there having a moment like, God, I remember when I was the only idiot in the band. I, I remember when I was the only person that could hold a tune in the whole church. I remember. And I want to encourage you to never stop looking over your life and giving God praise. Never stop looking over your life and saying, God, you have done a miracle for me. Because some of you, he's taking your worst mistakes and made them the greatest blessings of your life. You thought that kid would be the last thing that took you out, but that kid made you the mature person you are today. And God has taken every mistake and used it to, to birth something in you, and that's the goodness and greatness of God. That's how you, you don't understand why you went through something. You don't even have an understanding of why God would allow you to, and sometimes you might blame God, but it's not that you can blame God because he did it to you because God would never do anything bad to you, but yet God would allow you to go through something so that you would turn to him in the end. Because God knew that when you came to the end of yourself, you would look to him. 
And I just, I just really, I, I live in awe of God. I see all your beautiful faces, and some of you are not so cute on this side of the room. And, and first, second row, praise God. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Like, God, I thank you for all, most of these beautiful people. I'm just playing. But I, listen, we used to preach to empty chairs, to empty buildings. And we don't take for granted what God is doing right here and now. So I just got to give you 30 more seconds. If anybody, any of my, my, my covenant members here, you want to praise God in advance right now for what he's doing right now and still yet to do. And if you believe it, that you would just jump to your feet and be like, God, I know that one day I'm going to have to fight for my seat in this building. God, I know that one day I'm going to have to come actually on time to church because they won't let me in. I have to come to a second service. And God, I know I can look back over my life and I thank God But, but man, when you think about what God has done, I get excited. I don't got to worry about what he's doing because what he's done is enough. Come on, high five three people around you. Tell them, I got a reason to celebrate. And have your seat, have your seat. I've got a reason to celebrate. Woo! Come on, you may be seated in God's house. We give God praise. Listen, listen, I know that I'm going to get in trouble over the course of the next four weeks. I put it on Facebook. If you're not my Facebook friend or following me on my, one of my pages, you should really do that. Because I, I sent out some important information via Facebook and the church shared it. And it was talking about get the church on time so you can drop your kids off to Sunday school or to kids' churches. We're going to be talking about, about sex for the next four weeks. And I don't want your kid to be going home like, what is, mommy, what is, you know, might not be the right time for junior or for little Maria, praise God. I used that name last week and somebody, my name is Maria, why'd you use Maria? Because everybody's name is Maria, praise God. But, but, you know, I believe this is a topic the church doesn't really do a good job on. And I want to right some wrongs this, this next month, amen? And so we're going to be on a four-week series, and I've never done this before, but I'm going to give you a heads up on each week, because I, I believe it's important for you to be here for, for every Sunday. I, I really even plan my vacations around, around my schedule with the Lord, and uh, nothing is, is painful to me more than missing a Sunday. That may seem foreign to some of you all, but it's because I want to honor God first. And I only, literally only miss like one Sunday a year, and that's when I go on vacation with my wife to rest, and sometimes two tops. And, and, and that's really it because I want to be committed to God and I want to do the right thing in my life with my family, be an example to my children. But here's the, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to give you the title of each week so that you can, can be excited about coming in to hear the word of God. Amen? So this week, this week, and I'll explain it. I'm just going to say it right now, but I'll explain it. Our title is, is we're going to be talking about the good thing that God made sex for. Amen? We're calling it Sex in the Sanctuary. Sex in the Sanctuary. And then I want to take next week, the good, the bad, I want to tell you next week what society says about sex versus what God says about sex. And it's called beautiful lies. Because the world will lie to you, they're blue in the face. They'll make it look real good, but it's a beautiful lie because at the end of it, you'll be empty. Or with a disease, friend for life, praise God. So, 
And I realize I got to be very careful about what I say these next couple of weeks because some things can have dual meanings in your perverted minds. And I want to be as, as good as possible without y'all snickering and laughing the whole sermon. Praise God. And, and, and then, where are all my single people at? Could you raise your hand if you're single? Don't be ashamed. Own it right now. Own it, single people. See, that was your chance to look around, fellas. The Bible says, he who finds a wife. If I was still single, I would have been like, hold up, hold up. Keep the hands up. You, you, you. Next week. I, all right. All you single people. That was your moment. That was your moment. I'm going to preach a message entitled, Surviving Singlehood. How to survive singlehood and stay pure in a dirty world, amen? How to get through the tough times of, of when your body is telling you to open the box, and, but the Bible says keep the box closed. What do you do when, when your flesh says go wild and the Holy Spirit says go, in, go home, go home? No Netflix and chill, Netflix no chill. Praise God. Praise God. The, the things these young kids come up with, the Netflix and chill, what? It's crazy. And then last but not least, I'm going to preach a great, great sermon that I have pretty much already done, and it's called The Promise of Purity. What God promises when we stay pure, both in singlehood and both staying pure in marriage. Amen? Sex. You know, the very word sex makes people's ears perk up. (laughs) See? When I said that, half of y'all leaned forward like, okay, here we go. But here's the truth. For so many people, sex can mean so many different things. For some of you, it could, you could be like, if you're not really saved, you could remember the best years of your life when you were in the club and you were doing this and doing that. But for some of you, it might be the low moments of your life. It might be a time where someone's misplaced sexual affections came on your life and you were molested or raped taken advantage of. So you mentioned sex and it might mean something different for so many different people. Are you with me? I really think that sex has become a taboo topic, especially for the older generation. Like young people don't mind talking about sex, but there's old people right now who are squirming in their seats. Like, you know, they don't want to smile at nothing we say because then they agree with us. But because for some people, sex has become a very private thing. For, but for this young generation, sex is very much a, a topic of conversation. And everywhere we look is this influence of sex. I don't know if you realize this, but from media to commercials, like they will sell you Vagisil with, with a sexy girl on the commercial. And that is for herpes. No, that's not cute. But they'll sell it to you and make it look appealing because they put sex behind it. It's amazing how the devil will get you to love an ungodly thing or to embrace a disease based on how good something looks. And I feel like sex is, all, we are like nudity is everywhere. I've gotten to the conclusion that pornography is more accessible than coffee. Because I actually have to go to my kitchen to get the coffee. I can bust open my phone and go to one of these dirty sites and find something. And, and sex is just like, everywhere and and the problem is it's sex isn't bad it's it's not bad at all the problem with sex is that society has has set new rules for sex and the church has stayed quiet we've allowed culture and media to determine these new rules for sex or for what is okay when it comes to sex we've we've let Snooki and Jersey Shore tell us how sex should look We've let MTV take teen pregnancy and glorify it into a hit show that half of us were stuck on. We look at stupid shows like Love and Hip Hop where they're sleeping around left and right and we, we watch all this foolishness and, and we don't realize that what we, what we do on a normal basis becomes normal for us. And it's everywhere we look is this thing of just sex in every direction. We listen to sexually charged music that degrades women and objectifies sex. And, and we wonder why we got a tough time when we do finally get married. We got, we got something like 57% of men watch pornography on a regular basis, Christians included. 50%, I'm sorry men to throw you out under the bus like that. <laughs> But 18% of women now view sex also in a pornographic form. Like we have become to this place where like we need to talk about this topic 
in order to set some people's lives free because you've been enslaved by this mindset of sexuality that you don't even know how many partners you've had in your life. You don't know how many dirty pictures of you are floating around out there. You just don't even know. And we act as if one day we want to have a spouse who we will call ours and he will call you his. Are you hearing me? And I think the church has done a terrible job of talking about sex. Like the church has done the most, they, when you're little, when I was little, like my parents never had the birds and the bees talk with them. I forgive them. They never talked to me about it. I found out through kids who were watching porn what sex even was. I used to think that you could walk by a girl and get them pregnant. <laughs> like the way we were brought up in church, like sex is the devil. Save it from marriage. It is filthy. It is nasty. It is perverted. And if I ever catch you even talking about sex, looking at something sexual, I don't even want you going to Kmart into the bra and panty section. By the time the kids get married, like get away from me, girl, you dirty devil. The church back in the old days used to scare the sex out of you. Am I lying? I, all my Pentecostals, praise the Lord. You know it's true. And it was just like, what? Like, why do I feel all these things inside of me that if I, this is, doesn't make no sense? We've demonized, the church literally demonized sex. They should have contextualized sex. They should have told you what sex is supposed to be, not what it's not supposed to be. Because they spent so much time telling me what it wasn't supposed to be. At the moment I got a little bit of freedom, I went and experimented and found out what it wasn't supposed to be. And that happened for a lot of us. At the moment, the moment you got to, to some age that you thought you were grown, that you rebelled because when they tell you what not to do, it turned out to be the thing that you do. Shocking statistic, only 25% of Generation X, meaning 90, I think it's 80s to 90s babies around the Generation X, only 25% believe that sex is for marriage. Only 22% of millennial babies, 2000 and up, only 22% believe that sex is for marriage. In other words, 75% of Generation X and 78%, 78% of, of the 2000 babies on, they don't believe that sex is just for marriage. In other words, about 75 to 78% don't believe God's word. And we wonder why. Even the church, 61% of young adults in the church say they will engage in premarital sex and not feel guilty about it. And, 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 and some of you, I'm going to shock you, some of you have heard some of what I'm going to say, but I want to talk to you about God's plan for sex. The, wor the world says, oh, sex is easy, sex is cheap, you know, no strings attached, just hit it and quit it. It's a pawn, it's a way of controlling your husband or your wife. If you want to get that new purse, then, then you got to do this in the bedroom, girl, and you can get this. And, and then, guys, if, if you go uh, commit adultery with that girl because your wife won't do this with you, that's okay. And the world takes sex and it makes it crazy. As if there's no repercussions behind sleeping around endlessly. But the church is no better. The church says it's, same, it's shameful. It's, it's private. You know, we're not advocating public sex, but, you know, it's what a wife owes to her husband. Or the husband needs it, so the wife just has to give it. And, and we, we turn it into this thing. Back in the early days of our country, the missionaries told the Indians that only a certain sexual position was holy. That's why it's called the missionary position. It's, we, we've done a really bad job with sex. And by the time our kids get to maturity or to married life, they have a real tough time connecting. Let me, let me tell you something shocking. Shocking. Are you ready for this? Young adults, hear me out. Your sex organs are not a mistake. Because, because at some point, when I was early in age, I'd be like, God, why'd you give me all this if I wasn't supposed to be? And I was just so mad at God. <coughs> And then, and then, let me tell you something else. Here's another shocker. Your sex drive is not evil. Your inner desire for sexual fulfillment is not evil. And here's why. Because this guy or this being named God, he, when he created you, he put an inner desire and a need in you to have a sexual relationship with a man or a woman within the context that he framed it. 
If you have sexual thoughts, men, hear me out. If you have sexual thoughts, you are not going to hell. That is called being normal. But if you, if you have sexual thoughts about every woman you see, that is not normal. That is called sexual lusting. That's lust. Lust, not normal. Sexual thoughts, normal. Amen? Very normal. But we were taught when I was young that that is not normal. You are malfunctioning and you should meditate on the Bible until you stop thinking about sex. And that was, that was impossible. I never did it. I just I said, well, I'm going to hell. Praise God. I can't get rid of this. I just, I just couldn't. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Is the Bible still relevant about sex? Because people will say, well, the Bible is antiquated. The Bible is old. But the problem with saying that, and i got to be honest with you, the problem with saying something like that is this. If, if any part of the Bible becomes irrelevant, it all becomes irrelevant. And we can't pick and choose what we accept about what God has said. That's, I know, it's really, I know, that's really tough. That's really tough to hear. That might be really tough to understand. And, and you have to understand that if God created sex, he must know what's the best way to use it. And so some of you, you might love Jesus but have your own ideas about sex. I, I'll just break it to you right now. If that's you, then you're not, you're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. You're worshiping, you're worshiping the Jesus of, the, of your own heart, your own denial. Because the God that we serve, he framed sex within a very certain context. And I'm going to give you this example, this illustration, and then I'm going to move right into my first point. And I pray so Stephen can walk away and stop playing that sensual music, you dirty boy. Praise God. <laughs> Don't hit those chords. And, and so imagine this. Imagine that you bought a brand new house. Wouldn't you be excited if you bought a brand new house? And you bought this specially brand new house <coughs> designed by a world-famous architect. And this world-famous architect, you find out, put a safe room in the house, but it is a secret safe room. If you don't know what a safe room is, it's the place that you go into the house to hide if you have a home invasion. He got a safe room. He got a top-of-the-line security system. He has four secret doors and two secret passageways to get to this safe room. And you're like, man, that's awesome. Where is it at? And the real estate agent says, I don't know. Only the architect knows. Only the architect knows. Yeah, but you can't show me. No, because only the architect knows where it is at. And you're like, okay, that's fine. No problem. And then the architect comes to your house. You open the door. He's like, hi, I'm the architect. And then you say, no problem. I got it all figured out and close the door. That'd be crazy. That'd be really foolish. Could you imagine me? He comes to my house, knocks on my door. He, hey, I'm here to show you about security system. Oh, listen, I got it. I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm all good. And that sounds a little bit crazy and ridiculous, but here's the thing. That's what we do when it comes to what God says about sex because God architectured it. God made it. And so I would think that if God made it, he knows the best way in which to use it. He knows the absolute best way in which to use it. And so for the next couple of weeks, I really want to talk to you about what God says about sex. And, and I want to undo the lies of the enemy. And I believe that some of you are going to be free by the end of these next four weeks. And I know some of you don't want to say amen because then that, that really means that you're wrapped up in sex, sin and things. It's okay. You can be undercover here today. Praise God. It's fine. Because here's the fact of the matter is most of us who are normal, we've struggled with this before. And we've been there before. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you first and foremost for this opportunity to come to your house. We thank you, Lord, that you have already preordained for us to be in your presence, to hear your word. And you know you brought every single person here that you wanted to hear this. And we give you the highest praise. And we thank you, ask you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about a, a sermon entitled Sex in the Sanctuary. And the first thing, here's, if you're taking notes, the first thing, really simple, really basic today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start really slow today. And the, fir the first thing today that you need to understand and realize is that God created sex. Shocking. Just, oh, my God, the whole church, oh, I never knew. God made sex. I'll prove it to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. As a matter of fact, God's the first person to ever talk about sex. It says in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, So God created man in his own image. <clears throat> in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
God created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds and the, of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. It's really important to understand what we're looking at here. This is the first recollection of God's creation of Adam and Eve, God's creation of mankind. And, and if you look right there in the first verse, it says God created them. Verse 28, it says God blessed them. The first and most important thing to understand about this blessing that God gave them is the blessing of being married. It's the blessing of unity and oneness throughout their life. God blessed them to be together. Amen. God made Eve from the bones of Adam that she might, uh, he might understand they are equal together. She is to be there to support him and him to support her and vice versa. And, and, then, and then God blesses their unity and then God commands them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Right there in verse 28, he's blessing them. It's the first marriage ceremony because you see in, in chapter 3, verse 6 of Genesis, the Bible says that there, Eve is, his, is, is, is the wife and, and Adam is the husband. They were married, and so God, he gives them this command. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And I'll tell you the truth right now. All the men in the church should have got excited right there. All the married men should have been really happy because you can go home and tell your wife, hey, honey, let's have sex. Why? God commands it. God, God said, I got to be fruitful, and I got to multiply. My wife don't like that much. I mean, Lewis, I don't know about that. I'm done. Give me five more years. Praise God. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Isn't it odd that the church spent years telling us not to have sex, but one of the first things in the Bible is God telling people to go have sex. But he's talking to people who are in the sanctuary of marriage. Because marriage is a sanctuary. It is a safe place, a holy place. Sex in the sanctuary. That's what God designed sex for, to be within the sanctuary of marriage. God ordained for them to have sex. God set apart special functions in their body for them to have sex. He commanded them to go do it, to have kids, and be fruitful and multiply. Here's my first point today. Here's point number one. You should write these down. Because God created sex, God sets the rules for sex. Because God created it, nobody's going to come to my house and tell me what the rules are. I will do one of two things, kick you out or punch you until you just go by my rules. I have this white rug in my house, and because I have daughters, babies, it's not that white all the time, and I literally have to get it cleaned every month, and I don't care. I'll spend the money because I don't like a dirty rug. I get home, the first thing I do is I vacuum the rug. I don't know why. I just hate seeing things on the rug. But when people come to my house, they know it is a shoeless environment. Yeah, don't come to my house with shoes. My close friends, people who like the Corez family, they know once they come in, they just take their shoes off and go into my house, like right into the, into the, where the carpet's at. But then you get some new people who you invite over for the first time, and they don't take the clue of all these shoes right here from the 30 people in my house. And they want to just walk them like, hey, guys, did you, did you not see it? Did you, did you not see it? And it's the same thing. You can't make rules for sex that God overrides. God made the rules. Society and culture, you can't change the rules because God's immutable. And this big word immutable means one thing. God is unchangeable. His word in heaven is settled forever about the topic. Because God made the rules, or rather God created sex, he, he makes the rules. <clears throat> so God commands Adam and Eve to have sex and have kids in order to subdue the earth. There is a three-step process for sex in the sense of, of purpose. And the first one is procreation. The first purpose of sex is procreation, making babies. But why? Why did God want Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply? Because God wanted Adam and Eve to have children who would be godly children, who would be taught about God, who would have a relationship with God, and they would help subdue the earth and would spread the kingdom of God across the face of the earth. So when I have children, my job is to raise up my kids and to have them be godly women, godly young ladies who will expand the kingdom of God. So there's a, there's a purpose behind sex, and the primary purpose is procreation. 
I know that just sounds crazy. That's about as crazy as breastfeeding. Why are you using those for that? It's terrible. Hot topic these days. Oh, you're disgusting. That's what God made it for. All you mothers stop. Come on. But we've objectified the woman's body and made it all about sexual desire. Why don't you say what it really is? You're jealous of that baby. <laughs> oh, that grosses me out. No, you just, you just don't want to keep on looking, you pervert. Come on. <laughs> but, but God made sex for procreation as the primary reason. And I, I know, I know. <clears throat> this might not get with what you think you know about sex. You, 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 the next four weeks, if you come, I might offend you out of the church today, okay? But this next four weeks, if you keep on coming, you have to wrap your mind around the fact that God desired sex only within the context of marriage. There was no place in the Bible where God ever ordered sex to someone who wasn't married. And in the coming weeks, I will let you know exactly why God has not ordained sex outside of marriage and somebody might say well i didn't read about premarital sex in the bible that's because it wasn't a hot topic back then they got married at 13 or 14 years old so i doubt little junior and maria were worried about sex at 12 and that's the reason why premarital sex is not a big topic but adultery is in the bible because by the time you start you get married and you start engaging in sexual activity then the real issue is are you going to lust after somebody else's wife because they didn't have a singles ministry everybody was married you have to understand the culture of the Bible before you make a very broad statement about Scripture. And so Scripture tells us that God commanded sex inside of marriage and marriage only. He set the rules for sex within the sanctuary of marriage. So we must first understand that because he created it, God can set the rules. God created sex so that you could procreate, you would have a godly family, multiply a godly legacy within the confines of marriage. And this is why Satan has always worked so hard to pervert sex and make it outside of marriage because marriage itself honors God. And when you have godly children, the devil's afraid of godly children. He's afraid of a godly legacy being raised up in your household. He's afraid of children. He's afraid of children right now who are downstairs learning about the word of God and who will start casting out demons when they're 12 years old. He's worried about it. I got baptized in the spirit when I was 9 or 10 years old. And they had gone out to go minister in the streets. And my mother sat with about 15 kids. And by the time the parents got back, all the kids in the church are baptized in the spirit. We're all sitting there talking in tongues and praying over the building. He's afraid of a godly legacy. And he can ruin your marriage through sex. Through your lusting of another woman or another man. <clears throat> through your pornographic addictions. We have to really take a step back and realize that, listen, God is God, and either I'm going to obey him in every area of my life, or I'm not going to obey him at all, because partial obedience is disobedience. It amazes me that some Christians trust God with their salvation, but not their sex life. That's amazing. That you trust God to take you and rapture you out and collect your soul, but not to, not to set the rules for your sexual inhibitions and your sexual desires. The book of Genesis is the book that sets the pattern for all of Scripture. And the pattern that God set for sex is that it is within the context of marriage. That is the precedent that God has set. And I know some of you might be saying to yourselves right now that you don't think it really matters. You might be thinking that what, what I'm saying is outdated. Well, Pastor Lewis, like you're, you're a great guy. Your church is really modern. But that belief you have right there, that's really, really outdated. You might think that I'm old school. And I'll challenge you and say this, that, that the God you are serving is not the God of the Bible, if you think that. Because the God of the Bible gives us clear rules for sex. I won't go too deep into today about, about why premarital sex is so dangerous. That's next week. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Eight out of ten women who are married and interviewed and knew their husbands had other partners before them. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten women struggle with their, with their sexual performance within their marriage. And they have this, this insecurity because they wonder if they're living up to their husband's past. One of the main reasons God don't want you to have sex before you're married is for the mental security of your wife or your husband. God set the rules for marriage, and then he, he, he commanded us to have sex 
in Scripture, and we never see God ever commanding it outside of marriage. As a matter of fact, there are clear warnings in the Bible about marriage and about sex. <clears throat> in, in Proverbs chapter 5, I'll, I'll read it to you right now. Solomon, he's writing to his son about adultery. He's writing to him about adultery. And like I said, there was not a lot of premarital sex because the kids were married very young. And so he's talking about adultery. And he says, now then, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Talking about adultery, the adulterous woman. And this might be the adulterous man. Don't just think that the Bible's downing women. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor and your dignity, uh, dignity to the one who is cruel. Don't let strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. For at the end of your life, you will groan and your flesh and your body will be spent. And you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. How my heart spurned correction. When I read that verse, listen, when I, when I read that verse, when I read that verse where it says, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enriches the house of another. When I, when I read that, I think of child support. It sounds funny until you're going through it. Because you made a decision outside of marriage, had a child outside of wedlock, so some of you women have baby daddies who won't take care of their kids. And then you have other men who your, your, your salary is being drained because you are enriching the toil. Your toil, your hard work is enriching someone else's household because you didn't listen to God about sex. It's there in the Bible. God was worried about, he was worried about your child support. And then it says this, lest you lose your dignity, meaning your self-respect, to the one who is cruel. Because sometimes, whether it's a mother or a father, they don't want you to see your children. They'll use the kids as pawns in your life. And they'll break your heart over it. Is it not true? The Bible talks about it. You want to avoid it? Avoid premarital sex. Honor God. Do what God says about sex. Never in scripture does he ever say, hey, go sleep with whoever you want. Sex is for marriage, and God is making that clear in Proverbs. Look at verse 15 of Proverbs 5. This is really funny, the, the imagery it draws. It says, drink water from your own well. Meaning, stick with your own wife. Drink water from your own well. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Verse 16, why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with anyone? You didn't know the Bible was X-rated, praise God. You should reserve it for yourselves, never share it with strangers. God created sex. God sets the rules. Not you, not MTV, not rap music, not culture, not society, not advertisement, nobody. God sets the rules. And you have to understand that. Why? Because it leads to complications. God wants you to have a, a complication-free life. So now, we know that God created sex to be within the sanctuary of marriage, to procreate. It is important to understand the second purpose for marriage and for sex. Because sex and marriage go hand in hand. If God's first plan was procreation, <laughs> God's second plan is recreation. Once again, all the men should have been like, amen. All the married men, praise God. God wants me to have fun while I make love to my wife. God wants it to, he created it to be fun. Here's point number two. If God didn't want sex to be fun, it wouldn't feel so good. <clears throat> I hope your kids are in Sunday school. Praise God. I can't see out there. All the lights are in my face and I love it because I can't see your faces. <gasps> what did he say? This pastor is crazy. But if God didn't want it to be fun, it wouldn't feel good. Don't you love the fact that God made it to feel so good in the process of you having children and building a marriage and building a family? Proverbs 5, 18. Listen to Proverbs 5. You should go home and read all of Proverbs 5. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the, in the wife of your youth. 
a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated by her love. Woo! Get drunk, girl. Like, in, in love, in love, in love. God, this is crazy. This is, this is against what most churches will tell you about sex. God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to have fun with it, with your spouse. He didn't want you to have fun with it with every girl on the block, every guy on the block. He wanted you to value yourself, value your relationship, and have something worth giving to someone when you get married that you fought for, that you fought to keep. That's what God wants. And some of us, we just take the joy from sex, but not the commitment or the covenant that comes with it. I'll get into that in the end. You don't want the covenant that comes with sex. You just want the enjoyment that comes with it. <clears throat> but God desires for sex to be enjoyable to you. It's not just procreation. It is also recreation. If you don't know what recreation means, just think about, you know, grammar school, recess, fun time. Praise God. When I got to high school and found out they did not have recess, I was so upset. I'm like, wait, what? I was like in the eighth grade and I found out, I'm like, wait, there's no recess in high school? No, they have this thing called Jim. Who's Jim? I don't even like him already. I don't, I don't want to go near him. I want to talk to Jim. I want recess. No more kickball in the parking lot? What? But God wants you to enjoy your husband. Enjoy your wife. And some of you are saying, oh, oh, honey, you know, I want to enjoy it, but my past, I had this other girl or this other guy, and he did this or did that. And all that is is you trying to get your spouse to live up to the sexual performance of someone God didn't call you to be with. All you girls get together, does he fulfill you? Does he make you feel good? What? And, and that, that might, like, this sounds foreign to some of y'all. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's say that this is a guy named Ryan. If there's anybody here named Ryan, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to use the one name that I don't think we have in our church. <clears throat> Ryan. If there's a guy named Ryan, and Ryan says to his girlfriend, hey, honey, we should test drive before we get married. And she says, I have to think about it. But she tells somebody in her life, like me, and I go to Ryan, and I say, Ryan, why do you have to test drive? He goes, I want to check our compatibility. I got to see if we're sexually compatible. And I'm like, do you have a thing? And she got to, huh? It's incompatible. <laughs> yeah, but I want to see if it's a good match, if it's a good. Let me tell you something right now, little boy Ryan. Let's say, Ryan, that you have owned one car your whole life. You've never seen another car. You've never driven another car. You don't even know other cars exist. If you have only owned one car, you are going to appreciate that car and you won't have an opinion about any other car because no other car is as good as your car because that's your car. And that's the same thing when it comes to sex. Girls, you don't have to let nobody test drive nothing. And here's the reason why. Because, because there should only be no comparison in, in sexual relationships. What are you going to do? Test drive 10 cars until you find the one you want to drive for life? Oh, that's crazy. I know. It's just, it's just, is he saying this? Yes. Is this church? Yes, citywide. I'm just, we, we wild. We love the Bible and we love sex. Praise God. And if you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. Song of Solomon's chapter one, verse 13. My love is a statute of myrrh to me. Oh, that's the wrong verse. My fault. Where we at? Song of Solomon's 3, verse 3, verse 5. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem. Promise me. This is really weird. By the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Promise me, God says, that you won't let nobody talk you into nothing. That you're going to fight for your purity. Because I want you to enjoy this, but I want you to enjoy it with your husband. And here's the thing. If you have had so much experience with it, let me tell you something. Men are just as insecure as women. They're just as insecure. <laughs> I don't know him. Angel, praise God. 
And, and my thing is like, honestly, my thing is like, you have to understand that God wants to protect your mind in marriage. That's God's purpose. He wants to protect your mind inside of your marriage. I want to test drive. You know what that really means? Let me measure you against all the other women and men that I slept with. Let me, let me see if you match up. Let, let me see if you're good enough for me. Let me see if, if you're better than, than the last person. But God says, no, keep that closed. Keep that, keep that closed. Keep that closed until the time is right. <clears throat> it's clear in Scripture that God, he created sex to be enjoyable within the sanctuary of marriage. Because marriage is a safe place. Marriage is a very safe place place when it comes to sex. We see in scripture that not only is it to be enjoyed, but marriage and sex honor God. Yeah, marriage and sex honor God. You can go as far as to say that sex inside of marriage is like worship to God because you're doing God's will when it comes to something so intimate and so personal. And once again, all the men should have been excited because you can go home and say, hey, honey, want to worship? I'm helping you all out. You better be writing this down. You better be writing this down, boy. Let me tell you. Bless the Lord. I took all week on that one. Amen. I just, uh, amen, amen. But today's generation who doesn't honor God, doesn't honor God's rules about sex. And we see a generation who is diseased, teen pregnancy out of control, abortions at an all-time high, because we want somebody to die for our own mistakes our own sinfulness, and rather than suffer the embarrassment of bringing the kid outside of wedlock, there was a time where, where that was a shameful thing. I remember a time in our church where a young lady got pregnant years and years ago when I first started, and, and, and the, her best friend was like, oh, this is God. I'm like, what God are you serving? This is not God. This is a repercussion of sin, but God can turn it around and use it. But don't glorify what God condemns. You can't do that. But we have a generation who doesn't understand that. We want to have a carefree sex life because it is enjoyable. And we want to do it with whoever, with however, not realizing the complications and the troubles that come with it. And some, some might say, well, pastor, I did a ton of stuff in my past and I'm happily married now. Let me tell you something. You are the exception, not the rule. Because not everybody's going to have that same experience. Some people have a lifelong insecurity. It'll take a couple, six, seven years to get past that, that sexual awkwardness because of that issue. And then, and then, and then if you, young men, if you sleep with everybody you see, and then you're hanging out and you're going out to the mall with your wife, and, and you're looking at some person, did you sleep with her? 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 It's going to start arguments, I'm telling you. It goes both ways. You know her? <laughs> Honey, why are you looking at you like that? Because you just don't know. Am I lying? No, it's the truth. And it's a sad truth because our generation doesn't seem to care that there will be repercussions for their, for their actions one day. And I know years of church have told the church and years of leaders and sex is dirty, sex is bad. No, it's great inside of marriage because it is safe inside of marriage. Can I tell you something? There is not one scripture from Genesis to Revelations that encourages one night stands. Not one scripture from Genesis to Revelation that encourages having, mul having multiple sex partners, promiscuous living, exploiting your, your, your sexuality. There, there's no such thing in scripture to, to, to go send all these dirty pictures all around and to, and to do all this stuff. No, God desired for you to only do it and enjoy it within the sanctuary of marriage. Genesis 2, 23. 20, my last point. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, Adam talking about Eve, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. But here's the key. Here's the key. They were one. God 
God made them to be one. Literally, in, in, in your moment of intimacy and sex within marriage is when the two physically become one. But not just physically, there's an emotional connection that happens. There is a spiritual connection that happens inside of sexual intimacy. And if you ever wondered why, it is because the same intimacy, not sex, the intimacy is shared between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so God is honored inside of marriage when sex is inside of marriage because here's point number three. When the two become one, we reflect the Father and Son. When the two become one, you reflect the Father and the Son. God designed sex for procreation, recreation, and imitation. Imitation of the unity between the Father and the Son. You don't believe me? You have to understand that John 17, Jesus is about to die, and he's praying for his disciples, right? He was praying, and right before he's crucified, he prays this in John 17, 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. Talking about his disciples, he's praying to the Father. He says, I'm coming to you, Father. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Made in the image of God. Sex perverted, sex outside of marriage is a mockery of God. It's a mockery of the nature of God, the oneness of God, the intimate relationship of God. So is why in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, that he laid down his life for the church. Why? So that he could bring us to the Father, that we might be one with the Father and with the Son. John 10, 29, my Father who has given them to me, talking about Jesus, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my hand. And then he says in verse 30, for I and the Father are one. Me and the Father are one. Well, Pastor, what, what does this mean? It means that God created sex so that you can enjoy it with your spouse, you can have some beautiful kids, and that you also might have a taste and a foreshadow of the intimacy and the joy that you will experience once you enter into communion for all of eternity with the Father. But if the enemy of Satan can pervert sex for our generation, if he can do that, then he mocks the covenant that God has with us called grace. Because if you only want sex without the commitment and without the covenant, it's like saying, I don't want God. Because these are God's rules. These are God's desires for you and for your body. And for hundreds of years, Satan has tampered with sex in order to remove any shred of God's plan for it so that God will not get glory when something glorious happens like sex between a man and a wife that raises up a godly generation of children. Some of us got it all wrong. Society has has utterly lost the semblance of what sex is about in media with all of his sexually explicit content is trying to tell you it's about something else but when in essence according to scripture it is about the glory of God the intimacy that we will have one day with the Father and some of you are like well pastor man I am and it, 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 I, I don't want you to laugh because it's true because some people here are really struggling with addictions to sex and you think that your sexuality makes you important to, to some man or some girl You think that because you think you're a champion in bed, that it makes you good or it makes you great. No. It makes you foolish if you're not married. It means that you're going to measure your husband up to all of your past. It means you're going to measure your wife according to every pornographic movie you watch. And then one night in the bedroom, honey, can you do this? And she's going to look at you like you crazy because she's not a porn star. She's a godly woman that he placed in your life to be a godly marriage. And it's hard. It's hard. And some of you are really struggling. But there's good news. And we find it in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let me tell you something. He did not just come to redeem mankind. He came to redeem the world. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. All of creation needs to be redeemed. All of the animal kingdom literally needs to be redeemed. And let me tell you something. I believe that even today God will start redeeming the meaning of sex in this church. God will start redeeming those who are struggling and ensnared in sexual addictions. Those who think that you have to do something in order to be loved. That you think that you have to go out and perform for some guy or some girl in order to feel accepted. Some of you guys who might just come here for girls, you're like really upset at me right now because I'm shutting you down in every single area. But that's not God's plan for your life, young lady, young man. To be caught up in this vicious cycle that you are just stuck on sex and, and you can't get past it. And like I said earlier, you're going to think about sex and that's normal. That's good. God gave it to you. But he wants you to think about it within a righteous perspective when you get married with your wife. And until then, you have to subdue your thoughts. Subject your heart. When Jesus redeems you, young man, young woman, he redeems all of you, even your sexuality. He redeems you from the grip of that sin. And if you keep going back to it, it is not that God is insufficient. It is that you are more in love with your sin than God. But there is nothing that would make me want to be in love with a thing that God hates. And so I pursue God. I told you the first thing I knew about sex was pornography. I had to leave all that behind and pursue God. I had to leave everything in my life behind that I might pursue God because I knew that God was not just redeeming me. He was redeeming every part of me. And you might say, well, pastor, I've done some really bad things. I don't even know if anybody's ever going to want to marry me. I have low self-worth. I have low self-worth. When God redeems you, he redeems all of you. And if you were worthless, God wouldn't redeem you. God doesn't redeem trash. He doesn't do that. That's not what God does. Why did God come? God, Jesus came because he knew that we were lost. He knew we were struggling. He knew you would hurt. He knew you would face the struggles you face today. We can sit here and lie to ourselves. But I think that almost every single person under the sound of my voice at some point in your life, you've struggled with sexual sin. You've struggled with it. Because today's society, sexual sin is rampant in every area. But here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to redeem us. And when he does redeem us, he redeems us from all unrighteousness. And, and if, you, if you would start to wrap your mind and train your heart about what God says on the topic of sex, about what the word of God says, then no lying man, no, no treacherous woman, nobody, you, you, need to, you need to zero in. You single people, zero in. Married people have fun. Single people, zero in on the prize. Say, so, no, God has somebody for me that I want to give the best part of me to. And the best part of me can't be the best if everybody's had it. That's not good. If if everybody, that's not good. No, no, I I, want to be able to give the best of you. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. Listen, I believe that God can, can, that God can, can clean your heart out. That God can, can clean your heart out and he'll send you the right girl or the right guy who will understand. And will marry you and love you for the rest of your life. Well, if that's the case, then I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, 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 no. No. God doesn't do it for everybody. But let me tell you something. If you honor God, when you do get married, you will save yourselves so much complications. You will save yourself. And then, and then you could be like the Bible, and you could be like Job, who says, I have trained my eyes not to sin. That when you see another girl that you won't get tempted, you won't be like, mm, Jesus, I took her. <laughs> nah. You'll be like, no, my car is the best car. My wife is the best. My husband is the best. Not my husband, your husband. Praise God. Traditional marriage, this church. Praise God. You, you, you might, 
When you get married, your testimony should be, you know what, that God delivered me. Some of you young adults, stay pure. It's worth the fight. It's worth the fight to be able to, on your wedding day, to say to your spouse and say, I've given, I'm about to give you a treasure that no one else will ever experience because God's called me to be one with you. And if you've already passed that point, it's time to press restart and say, no, no more, no more, no more. I will not let my desires control me, but I will control my desires. Procreation, recreation, imitation. Procreation, restoration, imitation. I wasn't going to preach about restoration, makeup sex, but I don't have time today. Praise God. Because God brings restoration when the two become one. Restoration. And some of you, it might be a hard four weeks because you're going to struggle through it. And a lot of things I'm going to say might hit home. But there's freedom in the house today. And I believe that God brought this up so that you might be able to let go of the things that have beset you for so long. The sins that have entangled you and ensnared you. We're not here just to laugh and have fun and speak truth. But we're here to see women and men delivered from the work of the enemy in their lives. Amen. Now, let me preface this by saying this. It does not mean that every person who might answer an altar call in the next four weeks is a sex addict. Please. We don't judge anybody walking down those aisles. I said we don't judge anybody walking down these aisles. But here's what's positive. Is that in this topic, single people and married people need prayer. Single and married need prayer. You don't just stay pure when you're single. You stay pure when you're married also. If you're pure from sexually immoral and adulterous thoughts, you stay pure. So we're going to leave it right there. We're going to leave it right there. Procreation, rest, recreation, and imitation of what God has designed for intimacy with the Father and Son. Come on, stand to your feet today. God is moving in the house, and I know God wants to really change your heart. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Because here's the thing, every head about every eye closed, just listen to my voice. Every head about every eye closed. Here's the thing, if you're not facing this struggle now, you will someday. And maybe you got past it, but there's never a point where you get past it to a point where it doesn't bother you no more, it doesn't rear its ugly head. Temptation is always around the corner. Come on, every head about every eye closed, no one's looking at you. We're minding our business, we're just, it's just you and God, I don't care who you came here with. It's just you and the Lord today, just you and God. And Father, you see every person. Father, you see every heart. You know those who are broken even now in spirit because, Father, they're recognizing the, the level and the depth of their depravity and this enslavement of the enemy over their hearts and minds. Father, you see those who, who God, they are just literally just in bondage sexually, God. You see those men even in this room who are married who cannot stop lusting, God. They cannot stop watching that pornography. They cannot stop, God. God, this is not what you desired. This is not what you designed. And your word says that you came to save and seek the lost. Father God, there's some people, even though we are saved in our sexual desires, we are lost. God, I pray now that you would bring redemption even to our hearts about sex. That God, you would break the bondages. That God, you would bring down the lies, the walls of the enemy. God, even today, those who need healing for who were abused and those who might need healing, God, because they were treated as an as a object of someone else's desire, Father, those who were raped or molested over the course of their life, Father God. Where sex, God, is, is a terrible thing to them now. It's hard for them. And the purpose has been perverted, Father. I pray, I pray, God, that you would bring down the walls now. Oh, church, I know it's a hard thing to admit, but if that's you, then in your heart, tell them right now, Father God, break down the walls. My, my wrong ideas about sex, my, my hurt from sexual past, God, God, break down, break this in me, God, for I desire to be clean. I desire to be pure. I desire to be more like you, God. And God, whenever you show me that man, that woman, or God, when I see my husband or my wife, that I may be looking at them in a pure light in a pure mind. Oh, Father, Father, Father. Father, this is my prayer as the pastor of this house, that you would reshape our hearts concerning sex, 
that this church would be a beacon of light, Father God, that we would, we would live according to how you called us to. That we would stand on the word of God. Stand on it, Father God, and, and make a statement that we're still following the word of a living God. We're still following your word, Father God. Come on, if you're comfortable today, lift your hands all across this place. Father, you see every hand, every person. This is a topic one day we're all going to face or we're facing now. I pray now that you would touch every single individual, God. That you would bring healing. I feel there's some women and even some men who have been molested and abused and it's become difficult for you. And God, I pray that you bring healing over their hearts and their minds. God, I pray, I pray, God, I pray that you would break the lies of the enemy, God. That you would, I break the, Lord, I pray that you would help them heal from the scars of their past, Father God. From the lies of Satan, God. I pray for marriages, God, who have struggled, God. Marriages who have, who have wandered and have been hurting, Father God. Hurting because we're trying to get somebody in our marriage to live up to our past, God. I pray that we would not objectify our spouse anymore. But we would treat him as the provision of God for our lives. Come on, if your hands up raises, we're about to worship right now. Father, touch every single individual. Touch every heart. Break the lies, Father God. Break the lies of Satan in Jesus' name. Bring conviction where it is needed, God. Bring conviction of our sin, Father God. For your word declares if we confess our sin, woo, you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us of our sins. So, Father, if we stand guilty before you, that we will repent in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.